are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Welcome, everybody. As I said, we are in this season of discerning what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. And we're leaning heavy into that with American gospel, but also the book of Galatians, but also with the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians was one of the first letters written in the New Testament. It's very, very old in terms of the rest of the New Testament. And it was written by the Apostle Paul, and it has a pretty unique story around it. Um, Jesus went to the cross, he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven, and he met the Apostle Paul, who was not the Apostle Paul. Does anyone remember his name before Paul? Saul. Jesus met the Pharisee Saul on the road to Damascus. Because before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, the Pharisee, who used to persecute Christians. He was a religious Jewish man who believed that the movement of Jesus was uh, was dangerous to the movement of Judaism and believed that the Christians were an heir, and so he made it his life goal to persecute them and kill them. In fact, it even says that he was overseeing the death of a man named Stephen. But right after that event, Saul was on the road to Damascus, and the risen Lord Jesus confronted Saul and called Saul to himself and said, you're persecuting me, but now you're going to be my apostle. Paul, and you're going to take the good news of who I am to the nations. Paul was given this mission to share the gospel, not with necessarily Jewish people, but with people who were not Jewish. And he was a church planter. He was sent out to plant churches. And after he was confronted by Jesus and converted, he, um, he spent about 10 years before he was sent out to plant his first church in roughly 46 or 47 or he's in a common era, sorry, not BC, in the common era. And that's during his first missionary journey. And while he was on this missionary journey, he spent time in this province called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And you'll see that with the big orange circle where Galatia is. And he plants this church, and after he's done doing this, planting these churches in Galatia, he returns to his home base in Antioch, which is that smaller circle. And it's just a year later, a year after these churches have started in Galatia, that he writes the letter to the Galatians. And this is a unique letter, because Paul, as he writes it, he's cranked up. He's frustrated. He's angry. And the reason that he's frustrated and angry is because the Galatians have quickly forgotten the good news of the gospel of grace. People have come into the Galatian churches and began teaching something that was different than the gospel. Instead of, Jesus has done this for you, which is the gospel, they began teaching, you must do something for God. And Paul is frustrated because these new teachers are coming in to steal the freedom that the Galatian church has, the freedom they have in Christ. The freedom that their status with God is not determined by anything they do because their status with God has been, been 
you'll hear it in his tone. I won't yell the letter to you as I read it, but you'll hear it as we go through. My hope for you as we go through this is this will really clarify for you what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. And here's why. Because this is what this book did for me. Fifteen years ago, I was not clear on what the gospel was and wasn't. And I was approaching God through a performance mentality. It wasn't about what Jesus has done. It was about what I had to do. And as I went through the book of Galatians, it utterly changed I began to rely on Jesus in new ways. I began to have a new life in me, bursting out because of, of my new faith and understanding what Christ had done. I mean, I had prayed a prayer. I thought I was walking with Jesus, and I was. But the book of Galatians clarified things so much for me that it was almost as if I had a second because I began to understand the grace of God. And my hope as we go through this as a church is that it will do the same for you. And that's what I want to pray for right now. Can you pray with me? Father God, we need your spirit to open up our hearts to help us see the difference between a religion based on our works versus a religion based on faith in Jesus and grace. And so we pray that you would change us, starting today, over the next few weeks as we spend in Galatians, that you would clarify for people in their minds what the gospel is and isn't, but then that would work its way down into their hearts, that they would find a freedom in Christ, not to serve themselves, but to serve you, Jesus, and serve others. And all God's people said, Galatians 1, 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Word of God. What makes someone a Christian? Or how about this? What makes someone a real Christian? What makes someone
wasn't a real Christian. Immediately what I go to, and what I think you'll probably go to, is a Christian does these certain things. A Christian prays, a Christian shares their faith, a Christian goes to church and serves in their church. When I think about a real Christian, that's what I think about. Stuff that we do. The problem with that is that the Bible says what makes someone a Christian is not what they do, but believing what has been done for you. What the Bible says makes someone a Christian is not something that they do, but, some, but believing that something has been done for you by Jesus. And that something that's done for you is the gospel. Now, when we talk about the word gospel, you might think about a style of music, or you might think about the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But when Paul talks about the gospel, what he means is an announcement of good news of what Jesus has done for you. That in his life, death, and resurrection, your sins have been paid for, you have new life in you by the Holy Spirit, and you are a child of God. The gospel is an announcement of what Jesus has done for you. Look how Paul puts it in these first verses of the letter to the Galatians. He says, grace to you and peace from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God, of our God and Father. What has Jesus done? Well, Paul says, he gave himself for us he gave himself for you, and he rescued you from this present evil age. That's what he did. That's what has been done for you. I want you to imagine just for a moment that you need to borrow a car. And you go to your friend, and your friend has one. And your friend says, yes, you can borrow my car, but there's just two rules. My car doesn't wait very long after the fuel light goes on to run out of gas. So don't let it get near the fuel line. Once it's on the fuel line, you're already out of you're already in trouble. You're already out of gas. That's rule number one. Watch the fuel line. Rule number two, your friend tells you, hey, you remember those train tracks nearby? They're really dangerous. There's nails that go up to the train tracks. It's really bumpy. It'll ruin the car, and possibly you'll get stuck there on the train tracks. Watch the fuel line and do not go on those train tracks. Go around them. Use the he says, those are the only two rules. You go, I got it. Here's the keys. So you get the keys, you get in the car, you turn it on, there's a full tank of gas, you're good to go. You drive for a little while, you lose a quarter of a tank of gas, no problem. You're still three-fourths full and you're a positive person. It gets to halfway, and then it gets to a quarter. A quarter full of gas. And you say, I'll make it a little bit further. I'll make it a little bit further. And then all of a sudden you realize that it is just tipping on that red section. And you go, well, now's the time. i got to go get gas. So you pull up your GPS, and you look for gas. And there's a gas station not too far away. It's just two miles. Except you have to go over the train tracks to get there. You didn't plan very well. No problem. The red light's not on. I can make it. So you turn towards those train tracks, and you begin driving. But then that's what happens. The light is on. 
throw them neutral and you're kind of close to saving gas. Anybody ever done that? True. As the light is on, though, the car runs out of gas. You're still coasting. You think you have the energy to get over to the train tracks. And then you get to the train tracks and you hear your tires pop. <coughs> and your car runs out of momentum and stops right Well, in your pride, you realize what you have done. You just disobeyed those two rules, and it has got you in a mess. And you're going to have to explain to your friend why he has to come and help you. But then, out of the corner of your eye, you see a bright light coming from the left. And you hear a loud horn like you've never heard before. You look over, and you just have a second and a half and you realize my foolishness has got me in this situation where this train is going to take my life. And then the train makes an impact. And you spin, and you lose your sense of direction, and it's loud, and there's a wind And you open your eyes, and you look, and you're not on the train tracks, and your whole body's intact, and in fact, you're still in the car, but you're facing the train as it's going by. What happened? Then you look over to the side and you see your friend's car. You see your friend's car demolished by the train. And all of a sudden you put two and two together. Your friend had followed you all the way to the train tracks. And at the last minute, right before the train was about to make impact, your friend came up on the train tracks and with his car, pushed you out of the way, absorbing the blow of the train and being killed instantly. He rescued you. He gave himself for you so that you might live. This is what Paul is saying that Jesus Christ has done for us. I mean, we have two simple rules. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And no one has lived their life with God at the center of every decision, every moment of every day. And no one has loved their neighbor perfectly as themselves. We've fallen short of God's glory. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we deserve for breaking God's law is eternal separation and punishment from him. We deserve the full impact of his wrath. But Jesus Christ gave himself us. Jesus Christ rescued us when he went on the cross. He was absorbing the full impact of God's wrath that was meant for you to rescue you. He gave himself willingly. He was put on the cross, put under God's wrath, and by his shed blood, paid the full penalty for your sin. And then when he rose from the dead, it was God's way of saying, I accept Jesus' payment for you and you and you. And now, because of what Christ has done, because he's pushed you out of the way and absorbed the impact on himself, you are fully loved, you are fully forgiven, you are fully accepted, you're fully part of the church, you're fully God's beloved. And so
someone we ask the question, what makes a real Christian? We can look to that illustration and go, what did that person do? Foolishness, rebellion, not listening. But what saves them is something not that they do, but what Jesus has done for you. What their friend had done for them and what Jesus Christ does for you. See, a real Christian believes in what Christ has done for them and receives it. You let Jesus push you out of the way and you believe that him pushing you out of the way, his substitution for you on the cross is enough. You put your faith in that. You say, I'm no longer going to run my life. The man who pushed me out of the way is going to run my life. And I receive that good news. I receive what's been done for me. Let's go with this just for a little bit. So why was this done for you? Because what I see is people not getting the full impact of what Christ has done because they say this, Jesus did that for me because I'm so valuable. Okay. Now, you are valuable. You're made in the image of God. Each of you is unique and reflects God in God's image, but God did not save you because of your value. Because let's just play that out for a minute. In order to say that, you would have to say that you are more valuable than King Jesus, the Lord of the universe. And let's not go there. So why did God save you? In verse 4, it says, according to the will of our God and Father. In other words, God saved you because he wanted to. It didn't have to do with something in you, but something in he willingly sent the son who willingly went and decided to give himself for you. And the funny thing is, is that actually makes you valuable. We'll see in, in the video on Wednesday night that some people will say, I'm valuable and that's why Christ died for me. But the opposite is actually true. Because Christ died for you, you're valuable. You're a child of God. And God decided, it was his decision to give his son willingly went on your behalf. And that's why when we look at our salvation, we can say what Paul says, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In other words, the gospel shows us the weight and glory and majesty of God. The gospel shows us the mercy of God for sinners. The gospel shows us the love of God for rebels. The gospel shows us the justice of God because Jesus was punished for your Sin. And the gospel shows us the grace of God. The grace of God is this unmerited favor. Grace is not something that can be earned, because if it's earned, it's not grace. Grace means that God looked at you, and there was nothing in you that caused him to make a move towards you, but he did anyway because of his grace. Because of his grace. And that's why Paul can so boldly write in verse 3, grace to you. It's not just a nice greeting, he means it. That because of what Jesus has done for the church, his relationship and done for us, we can say we have the Lord's grace. And because of his grace, we also have his peace. His peace is 
isn't this feeling inside, although it brings a feeling. When you think about peace, it more means not at war anymore and restored to a beautiful, harmonious relationship. So if you think of someone who's at war, they're fighting, but then they sign a peace treaty and they become into a state of peace. They get a status update that goes from enemy to friend. And what Paul is saying is that the peace treaty is the good news of Jesus and what he's done for you so that you go from separation with God to relationship. You go from enemies to friends and peace. You have a permanent status update. And that's why Paul can so boldly write grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul writes all this as someone with authority, someone that Jesus has permission to spread this good news of what Jesus himself has done. But then something interesting happens. If you read through Paul's letters, you'll know that this is the point where he usually writes something like this. A gospel introduction, and then a gospel thanksgiving. So in the book of Philippians, he points people to what Jesus has done, and then he goes, I thank God for what he's doing among you. I thank God for how you're sharing your faith and you're partnering with me in the gospel. If you read the book of Ephesians, he does that as well. And he's like, I'm just so thankful for you guys. Except in the book of Galatians, he does not do that. He cranks it up. He cranks it up because he's frustrated and he's angry with the Galatian church because they have turned away from the gospel of grace and turn to a different gospel. They've gone from what Jesus has done to something they have to do. He says this, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There was this group that came to Galatia. They were called the Judaizers. And they were said, listen, we know that Jesus died for you, but if you really want to secure that status update with God, you have to follow God's Old Testament ceremonial law. If you really want to ensure that you're forgiven, get circumcised. If you really want to know that the blood of Jesus has covered you, then cleanse yourself according to the law before you eat. If you really want to know that God accepts you, make sure that you don't eat the foods that God said not to eat in the Old Testament. And what they've done is these, these people have taken the gospel from something Jesus did to something that we must do. Something we must do to have assurance with God. Something that we must do to keep peace with God something we must do to earn grace. And as soon as you say earn grace, it's not grace, because grace cannot be earned. And so these peoples are, people are saying, if you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be fully included in the people of God, you have to start doing, rather than looking to Jesus who has done something. Paul 
is angry because to add something or take something away from the gospel is to do another gospel, and there is no other gospel. Only the gospel of grace. And Paul says, listen, if you turn away from the gospel of grace, you're turning away from God himself. That feels counterintuitive because our human hearts always think, if I do more for God, God will love me more. But what Paul's saying is that if you think you're earning something from God, you're actually turning away from God. You're denying the gospel of grace. Grace. And there is no other gospel but the gospel of grace. Religion basically has two ways it functions. The first way is this. I do something to earn God's favor. I do something to become a better person. I do, do, do. But the gospel is not like that. The gospel says you do things because of what Jesus has done for you. You do things to serve God because of his grace to you. Your doing cannot earn a status update with God. Jesus has earned that status update for you. And I fear as the church, we often let this idea creep in. I mean, we would not say that we would not say it's Jesus plus something else. But I think in our own minds, we have that mentality because we're human. Humans like a religion of works. And so if I pray enough, God will love me more. If I speak in tongues and I really have a status before God, if I evangelize, then I'm really a radical Christian. If I study God's word, then, then I'm really am close to God. We do some of those things, but not to earn status from God but because God has sent us in Jesus to rescue us. The Son who gave himself for us. And so as Christians, we really still need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. That's why one of our core values is to be empowered by the gospel. Because we often forget that it's not about what we do, it's about what we've done, and when we're empowered by what has been done for us, it actually makes us want to do more. We're free from having to earn something from God and free instead to serve him with our lives. Because he has done everything we need through Jesus to secure the relationship. But we often turn to legalism. And legalism is simply this, if I do, then God will love me. And that's what the Judaizers were coming to the Galatian church saying, and distorting the gospel of grace. And Paul is so angry because it's not like they have a little error in their understanding of God. They have turned away from the gospel of grace and therefore turned away from God himself. There is no other gospel but the gospel of grace. And as Christians, we have to be discerning when this happens in our hearts, when this happens in our culture, and therefore we respond to it. And that's one of the reasons why in American gospel, we're actually talking about all the deviations from the gospel. The Jesus plus something else. The doing rather than the done. Now there's, a, there's kind of a famous illustration that says, well, we really should just focus on the purity of the gospel, and then we'll 
be able to discern the counterfeits. And people often use an illustration where they say people who are looking for fraudulent money, they're looking for counterfeit money, they only look at the real thing, and then that helps them discern the errors. But a pastor named Roger Olson debunked that. He liked to call the counterfeit hero. And he said, is it true that you guys only look at the real thing? He said, no. Counterfeit guys are like, we look at the real thing, and we also look at the deviations and the errors and the wrong money so that we can discern both. And that's what Paul is calling us to. Know the real gospel, but let's also see the deviations so that we can spot the fakes and spot the counterfeits. We can know if it's a done religion or it's something that we must do to earn status and favor with God. Because there are lots of people out there that are trying to change the gospel. You'll see on Wednesday night that some people are trying to deify man. In other words, make man into God. And there's some people that are trying to take the God out of Jesus. There's some people who are saying, you know, we don't need a Savior because we're actually pretty good people. Brothers and sisters, it is very serious to change the gospel. In verse 8, he says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, what does he say? words, you have not been rescued. You have not been saved. You are still separated from God in your sin. And so to change the gospel is very serious because it means you don't have the gospel and you have not been reconciled to God and you've been separated from him. Because there is no other gospel but the gospel of God's grace. Well, why would we ever change the gospel? Well, Paul gives us a couple reasons. One is spiritual experience. Look what he says in verse 8. But even if we were an angel from heaven, can you imagine if an angel came to you while you were praying in your bedroom? Would that not be a defining moment of your spiritual life? But what Paul says, look, even if an angel shows up in your room and preaches a gospel that is not the true gospel, don't pay any attention. What Paul is saying is the judgment for all spirituality is the truth and alignment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think we need this in our day and age more than ever because we judge spiritual truth based on experience rather than judging experience based on the spiritual truth of the gospel. But even if an angel shows up and preaches a contrary gospel, but even if I hear an exciting sermon and it distorts the gospel a little bit, but even if I'm dating someone and they're not really clear on the gospel, friends, nothing matters as much as clarity and alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might have an amazing spiritual experience that is exciting and inspiring and the gospel's wrong. And what Paul says is that if the gospel's wrong, nothing else matters. The clarity and truth of the gospel outweighs everything else. In fact, let me say this. If at New City you ever hear me deviate into a works-based religion, if you ever hear me not start 
make the gospel of Jesus Christ the first priority. And we will do our best by the mercy of God never to mess with it. Never to change it. Although there is pressure to. In verse 10, Paul says the reason that we're so often pressured into changing the gospel is because of people pleasing. Because of people pleasing. It's, it's hard to give someone this news that they're a sinner who needs forgiveness. It, it's, it's hard to tell someone who's trying really hard that it's by grace alone to faith in Christ alone. And as Christians are more ostracized in our culture, it's going to be harder to hold on to the gospel when people are putting pressure on you not to. And that's what's happening in the church in Galatia. They're being pressured to let go of the gospel of grace. And Paul says, listen, do not let go of the gospel of grace because there's no other gospel but the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. On Wednesday night, we'll be entering into two stories. One is a, a, a woman named Constance Troutman. And Constance was at a church and she did not know that her church was not teaching the gospel until the church bought a curriculum and started using that curriculum. And as she went to the curriculum, she was very clear all of a sudden on what the gospel was. And then she began exploring whether her church really taught what the gospel was. And she realized her church did not teach what the gospel was. And she had a very difficult decision to make at that point because this was the church. And you can imagine how in having to peel herself out of a church that was not teaching the gospel, you can imagine the pressures that she felt from her friends and the people there. You'll also hear about Sean Mars on Wednesday evening. Sean was a guy who was into drugs and games, and he became a Christian and like did a 180-degree turn and started preaching the gospel right where he had been dealing drugs. And this man approached him and said to him, listen, do you understand that Bible that you're preaching? And he said, no. And the man began explaining the Bible to him. And as Sean grew in his faith, he realized that what the guy was doing was actually twisting the scripture. And so the guy said, I'm going to help you understand the Bible, but the guy himself did not understand the Bible. And at that point, Sean had a really difficult decision to make. He let it play out for a while. He's like, maybe I could just study the word and like still listen to this guy. And he began to realize, I can't do that anymore. But you can imagine the pressure on him from this man who had been so generous to him, to give him his life and time. And you see, you begin to feel some of the pressure of people pleasing in the gospel as you hear their stories. But friends, let me assure you this. We must get the gospel right. We must not deviate from it. And when we stay with the gospel, there is true freedom. There is true power. And there is true confidence that we can have. The gospel really will change us. It really will teach us how to battle with sin. And as we go to the book of Galatians, you're going to see how much power comes through the gospel. Even to deal with things like racism. 
But we must get the gospel right, and we can be confident that the gospel is right because it's not something that's made for man, it's something for God. And that is what Paul ends with for our passage today. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin, for I not, did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to unpack that in the coming weeks. But know this, the gospel is not something that was made for man. The gospel of grace is the only gospel, and there is no other gospel. Anything else is made up by man, but the gospel of grace truly comes from Jesus, and you can be let me pray as the worship team comes back. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you gave yourself for us and rescued us. Now we are at, at, in, a, in peace with God. We thank you for the gospel of grace for sinners like us. We pray that as we go through this, you would give us real wisdom and clarity on what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. We thank you and we worship Jesus. In your name, amen. Would you stand with me and sing?